dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing The Blue Castle by L.M. Montgomery and pairing it with contemporary reads that feature similar themes. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. Are you excited about today? (laughs) (laughs) I am. I love L.M. Montgomery. After reading The Blue Castle again, I'm like extra sad that the Canadian border is closed and I can't like (laughs) drive over and go hike or something because it makes me want to go explore the Canadian wilderness. Yeah. And you're so close to it, but so far away in pandemic times. (laughs) I know. Sending some love to Canada because I sure wish that that we could get them open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this book, I wasn't expecting it to be armchair travel. And it totally was like her nature descriptions and just I the love she has for the communities she writes about is so wonderful. And it just completely transports you there. Yeah. So this is a reread for me. I first read it A few years ago, I used to run a little book club on Facebook for like hometown friends. My mom was in the group and she invited some of her friends. It was just like a fun, really casual Facebook book club. And we read The Blue Castle. And so I went into that group and looked at our event and looked at the discussion just to kind of, I don't know, refresh my memory of what I thought when I read it the first time and what everyone else thought. And some very clear themes were present. The nature descriptions, everyone really mentioned loving those. And then the general consensus was like, this book wasn't super deep, but it was really enjoyable. And it was easy to read in a day. It was kind of like a Hallmark movie where you knew what was going to happen, but you liked the ride anyway. And then a lot of people just really relating to Valency's journey of learning to speak up for herself and set boundaries and deal with truly awful family members. And so it was just kind of fun to see what we all thought of it then. And then, I mean, on the reread, I enjoyed it. I don't, I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as reading it the first time, but I did pick up a few different things. This was your first read though, right? It was. Yeah. And this was my first L.M. Montgomery outside of Anne. So that was also fun just to see her her range. I mean, even though there are certainly similarities, her the the difference in character between Valency and Anne is like <laughs> pretty startling and really impressive. I think that she can write such relatable characters who are so different from each other, which was really cool to see. I enjoyed it. I I think exactly what you're saying in your Facebook group, like it wasn't super thought provoking or deep, but I, I listened to it on audio on Libro FM, which was great. I did listen to it, I think in a single day while I did some things around the house and it was transporting and lovely. It has some tropes that kind of irk me which I'm sure we'll get to, but 
not enough to not enjoy the book, I, I still really had fun with it. Yeah, I feel like so since I read this the first time, I have read much more in the romance genre. And so some of the things that I think I liked or even that didn't bother me about it on the first read, now that I've read so many more romance novels that have handled those tropes better, Mm. I was like, oh, this is a little cheesier than the first time I read it. Or like, oh, I don't know if I like that as much. But I do think it's interesting that so a couple of things about Ellen Montgomery, this is her only book where the setting is entirely outside of Prince Edward Island. That's just a fun fact. But it's also, I, I mean, the later books in the Anne series are her as an adult, but most of Ellen Montgomery's books are kidlit. This one is very much women's fiction meant for adults. But I was thinking if I had read this when I was 13 or 14, I think I would have loved it. Like, I think that Valency's journey, I would have found far more relatable as a young teenager, just because, you know, when you're like in middle school and it's not even so much that you want to have a crush on someone, but you so desperately want to be liked (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you want to be loved. I feel like that's Valency. And it just, I don't know. I think even though it is Montgomery's only adult novel, I think it still reads like a lot of her books targeted for a younger audience. Yeah, I completely agree. I I felt the same way that I probably would have really loved this reading it as a younger reader, even though I'm sure in in middle school, I would have been like 29. She's so old. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that was kind of the point. I mean, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, I I actually, I agree. I think that um, for parents or teachers, if you have advanced readers who you, you know, have in your life who are looking for something with a more, um, I don't know, more mature themes, not in a like, you know, adults, kids can't handle it kind of way, but just a little bit more um, mature view of love, I think. I think a lot of um, precocious readers would really enjoy this one. I think so too. Let's do a really quick summary before we dive into our discussion. So our protagonist is Valency Sterling. She lives on just like this quiet little street in a small town. She has this big family where she sees her extended cousins and aunts and uncles all the time. And her mother and her aunt that she lives with are really awful to her. And she's 29. She's a spinster. And so they patronize her and she's not really treated like an adult at all because that's how you would have been treated living with your parents at that time. As an unmarried woman, you weren't seen as an adult until you were married and out of the house. And so she gets some news about her heart condition that totally spins everything for her and basically makes her decide, I'm going to live life differently. She starts talking back. She starts standing up for herself. And she goes and marries a man named Barney and goes away and lives on an island with him. And then there's a few more events that sort of bring her back into the fold of her family. But 
It's really about her coming of age journey and their romance through this life-changing news that she receives. Mm-hmm. I loved her back talk. I mean, she really, <laughs> it, and I, she was really funny and witty and um, sharp when she like came alive and decided that she wasn't going to hold back anymore. And I really loved that. Like it wasn't just, I don't know. I thought it might be kind of eye rolly what her real expressed views were, but she (laughs) did not hold back. And I loved that. Um, That was a really fun kind of transformation. And it's really stark. I mean, for the first few chapters, gosh, I just felt so bad for her. I mean, in part, her family is just kind of relentlessly teasing her about Mm -hmm. being unmarried and just won't let her forget it. I have a feeling that some modern readers who are approaching a certain age might relate because some people still do that when they're at family gatherings. It's like, are you seeing anyone? When are you getting married? Like all of those annoying questions. Mm -hmm. But it just goes deeper than that. I mean, just the way she's treated, especially her mother, is just awful to her. And you just feel so bad for her. And you see how heartbroken she is. She doesn't start the book as she's not, like you said, she is not Anne-like at Mm -hmm. all. She doesn't start the book as this strong heroine. She is really beaten down. And so you feel so, so bad for her that then her transformation is that much more satisfying when she does start speaking up for herself. And you just really want to root for her because everyone's so terrible. Totally. And you can see the idea of herself that has taken hold in her mind because of the things that her family says to her. And so it definitely starts at teasing and then goes beyond with just how they suggest that no one could love her and that she has no chance of being married because she's not beautiful or not interesting. And it's it's so cruel. And they're constantly comparing her to her cousin. Olive, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's it, it and it's this big clan of a family. And they they I think they call it her clan throughout because it really is this large family in this small town. Some of them are quite wealthy, but Valency's immediate family, her her mother and her aunt who she lives with, are not. And so I think that was an important element of the story too, because she feels Like she has to be amenable and a pushover because she's dependent on potentially getting inheritance from this one uncle. And if she upsets him, she doesn't know how she's going to survive. And so that I think was kind of key to me to understanding because sometimes, even though there were a lot of aspects of Valency that I could relate to, I think sometimes it can be hard for contemporary readers to think, well, why don't you just say something? Just say something. Like it can feel you can just get worn down by a character like her, like a Fanny Price Mm -hmm. type character at Mansfield Park. But it makes so much sense why she had to behave that way. Yeah. All around, this is definitely a book where you have to keep the historical context in mind the whole time you're reading. Otherwise, it can get pretty grating. 
I was also I, I was also glad that you had uh, described it as a Cinderella retelling at one point on our fairy tale episode because having that in mind and that kind of fairy tale construction of the story, I think, plus the historical context, really helped me more fully embrace the story overall. I find, I mean, my family is very loving. I don't, I don't relate to her being beaten down by her family at all, but it, I relate very much to the difficulty of setting boundaries and the difficulty of speaking up for yourself when it's really expected of you to be, to be respectful and always agree with your elders or to defer to them in a certain way. And so I do really relate to that experience of having difficulty sometimes saying what needs to be said or um, setting a boundary just because of of those expectations. And I think a lot of people do. And that's something that absolutely transcends time, even if you aren't exactly in Valency's position. Absolutely. The idea that you just brought up about being agreeable, I think a lot of people can relate to if it's not your family who makes you feel that way. Maybe it's your workplace or a particular group of friends who you feel like you have to kind of back away from controversies with or something like that. So I I do think absolutely that is a a common experience. And I, I think another common experience maybe, especially for a lot of readers and imaginative people, is the way Valency escapes from that at first, which is not physically or in reality, but into her imaginary blue castle that she it's her happy place that she goes to when she's feeling really downtrodden or sad about her circumstances. And I I loved, I really loved that element of it. That part is very Anne-like. Yes, for sure. (laughs) And you can tell that's probably... L.M. Montgomery herself. Yes, the imagination. Yeah, I think she kind of had a tough life too. And you can see how her imagination, you know, filters through these lovely stories that she wrote. But in addition to the Blue Castle, which is like her imaginary escape place to go to, she also escapes into books Mm -hmm. and reading, which is, of course, very easy to relate to. But I think it's really interesting that her, so she is living with people with very strong opinions. And one of those strong opinions is about novels. Mm -hmm. And so Balancey reads nature writing and reads wilderness nonfiction, but basically says that she gets just as much of a thrill out of that as reading a novel. And I just kind of love that her Escape is like this male wilderness writer whose life seemingly couldn't be more different from hers. I loved the bookish elements, of course. And then the the story really kicks off when Valency gets this letter. First, she's actually inspired by one of her wilderness books where the writer says that basically most hardships in life are caused by fear. And so she has been fearful to seek advice from a doctor in her town about a some heart 
problems she's been having. She reads that line in her book and she's like, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to go see him. So he has to rush out of their appointment and he sends her a letter later, though, giving her a diagnosis. And he basically tells her, you have a very serious condition. You have one year to live. And you should avoid all excitement. And, you know, that that might give you a little bit longer, but I'm sorry. This is the reality. But instead of taking the advice of avoiding excitement, she's like, well, if I only have a year left, <laughs> I'm going to actually live. <laughs> and I think, you know, we've seen probably so many books and movies that start with that kind of convention right now. And I I think it's a really sweet one in this case because she really hasn't lived at all. And she really does make the most of that year. I love how she decides like, well, I'm a misfit, so I'm going to go hang out with the other misfits of the town. Mm -hmm. And she goes and sort of establishes this little found family and makes some new friends with the people who her family really sneer at and stick their noses up at and who society has really rejected. And Valency finds true blue friends right there. And I think that that's really sweet that she just fully is like, I'm leaving. I'm just going to go hang out with these people over here. And And I love that they're like true misfits and that there's a great message there because, you know, one of them is a town drunk and the other is a young woman who had a child without being married. And so I, I think I, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that a lot of readers at this time would be surprised that Valency chose to go spend her time with them. And I thought that was a great message. I think so too. And I think she really needed to separate from her family in order to move forward. The, the book as much as I love the scenes where she's sticking up for herself and she's sort of being sassy right back at them and sort of giving them a dose of their own medicine, it would drag on too long if she didn't get out of there. (laughs) And through hanging out with these misfits is how she meets Barney, who is another town misfit. Everyone just kind of assumes like he's running away from the law. He probably (laughs) murdered someone because he like lives off on an island by himself and only comes into town now and then. And you kind of figure he's probably got a little bit of a rugged appearance. (laughs) But she meets him and she's pretty smitten right away. Mm -hmm. Which is cute because she's never been in love before. Yeah, it's super cute. And he saves her from a situation she gets into where she goes to a dance because she's really trying to live her life, but it's a a place she really shouldn't be. And he rescues her and then she really falls head over heels. And I, of course, adored that she proposes to him, which was so fun. And just the way she proposes, she's like, listen, you don't have to love me, but let me tell you why I want to get married. <laughs> And she's like, she explains everything to him. She says, I have this heart condition. I only have a year. So if we get married, these are the stakes. And she lays it out clearly. She tells him that she loves him. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. like she's pretending, oh, you know, this is just convenience for both of us. She's like, no, I really love you. I get you probably don't love me. (laughs) But here's, here's the situation. I thought it was so sweet. I think a lot of modern readers could come to this book and say like, well, I really wish that she could have just 
had this full journey and discovered herself without needing a man. And I can see that. Like there are some elements of he helps her see herself as attractive and he helps her see herself in a different way. But I do think Ellen Montgomery actually does a pretty good job of balancing partly because we are really in Valency's point of view for the whole book. We do see her journey before she even meets Barney Mm -hmm. of the split and how she starts to think of herself. And even as she's with him, her thoughts aren't always like, oh, well, he told me I'm pretty. So now I know so. But like you said, there's that real self-awareness of like, I love him. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to propose to him. We're going to have a pretty decent marriage, whatever we can make of it with this time together. And I actually really end up loving the second half of the book even more than the first because I I like them together on their little island. I agree. And I, I think it was, you know, the the father and daughter, who two, her two friends who she lived with and helped for a while, who really began her transformation, who made her feel comfortable with herself enough to propose to Barney. And yeah, so that that piece didn't didn't bother me. They were such good friends, she and Barney. And yes, there was, you know, the romance element and him helping her see her beauty and all of that, but also just the way he encouraged her to do the things that she loved to do, but had kind of suppressed, like going ice skating and exploring the wilderness. And so yeah, I I really enjoyed their relationship. I, I didn't find it like swoony, but I don't know if that was the point. I thought it was just this really lovely companionship. This book, reading it this time, and I think just because we read and discussed Austin so recently, I started to really see some more Austin-like influences here especially in the very opening I was almost like this almost reads like Austin's rhythm and just the way that the characters are developed and the way that the frustrating and annoying characters are cast compared to the sort of underdog heroine and then the romance is very much more companionship and there is some love there but it is more about like well this is a good solid match for them And then, of course, we'll get into spoilers about the end, but it's also a very, like, happy Austin-like ending where you see, like, okay, well, they don't just have this companionship. They also get to have money. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited to talk about the end because those are where some of the tropes that I didn't (laughs) love came up. It's wild. Yeah. (laughs) I, I love your connection to Austin. I actually thought this book was like a much happier Jane Eyre. And even the yeah. first sentence, the first sentence is, if it had not rained on a certain May morning, Valency Sterling's whole life would have been entirely different. I mean, the first sentence of Jane Eyre is, there was no chance of taking a walk that day and it's about the rain and and the kickoff. And I was like, is she doing this on purpose? Because there's so much kind of Jane Eyre stuff. Even, um, is it Cecilia or or... Sissy, who she Sissy, okay, uh, her friend who she who's very ill and who she cares for and who like teaches her a lot about 
living and faith and love is very much a Helen Burns like figure. Like there, there were so many connections to both Jane Eyre and like you're saying, Austin books. And so I was smitten with all of that, just, you know, women's fiction goodness stuffed in here. Yeah. One of my favorite parts. Okay. So I have two favorite scenes. One of them is when Valency and Barney are driving out to his island and they're really having a witty back and forth conversation and they're kind of teasing each other. And you can tell they have like just a really good, solid friendship. And she says something about him having other wives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he says something about like, well, you won't find any. And she's like, well, as long as they're dead. And yeah. away, I don't mind. And I was like, well, that's very Jane Eyre. <laughs> totally. Yeah. His whole his like secret room that she's not allowed yeah. <laughs> to go into. And even the references to Bluebeard that she calls mm-hmm. his room um, Bluebeard's room or something. But um, yeah, I, I thought all of that was super fun. And yeah, that banter was great. And then one of my other favorite parts is when she's like standing outside by a picket fence and I forget if it's a cousin or an aunt. It's one of her relations that comes up and is like, oh my goodness, guess what? I have a man who wants to marry you. And she, Valency kind of like lets her go on and like set up the match. And then Valency's like, that sounds great, but there's only one thing. I'm already married. (laughs) You get that like really satisfying where the cousin's like, um, what? <laughs> the jaw drop <laughs> moment. And you can just, you can feel Balancey's satisfaction mm-hmm. at shocking her family and like dropping these surprises and the way that she goes about it, I just think is so fantastically funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, should we talk a little bit about the nature descriptions and Montgomery's writing before we get into the ending? Yeah, I think we should. I think that's probably why the second half of the book is my favorite. It's so great. I sometimes think about in A Room of One's Own, Virginia Woolf lists a bunch of female writers and and what she thinks they actually should have written. I can't remember all of them, but I, I think that she says, you know, like Jane Austen probably would have written great plays if women were allowed to write plays. And George Eliot really should have been able to write history books, but, you know, women could only write novels. And I I thought about that while reading this, like L.M. Montgomery really could have written some like nature writing and some natural history and guidebooks and things. Maybe she did. <laughs> I don't know much, but she really pays close attention to the natural world around her. And I loved those descriptions. I have a paragraph to read and it is about spring. And this is like why we chose this book for spring season. It's in chapter 33. Spring, mistowis black and sullen for a week or two, then flaming in sapphire and turquoise, lilac and rose again, laughing through the oriole, caressing its amethyst islands, rippling under winds soft as silk. Frogs, little green wizards of swamp and pool, singing everywhere in the long twilights and long into the nights. Islands fairy-like in a green haze, the evanescent beauty of wild young trees in early leaf, frost-like loveliness of the new foliage of juniper trees, the woods putting on a fashion of spring flowers, dainty spiritual things akin to the soul of the wilderness, 
red mist on the maples, willows decked out with glossy silver pussies, all the forgotten violets of Mistowis blooming again, lure of April moons. So pretty. It it's is. so pretty. I loved all of the seasonal descriptions. I really like the winter descriptions and mm-hmm. how she wrote about the ice clinging to leaves. It's it's really just gorgeous. Also, just as an aside, I love that he called her Moonlight. Isn't it cute? Uh, as her nickname was adorable. <laughs> it's really cute. Okay. So I don't know if I have much more to say about the nature descriptions, but it's just beautiful. That- It really is gorgeous. I think that you can, if you've read Anne of Green Gables, you get that sense of nature descriptions, but most of those are through Anne's voice, where she's really super overdramatic (laughs) and she's sort of naming everything, which is also fun. But this really does read more like just an homage to a beautiful place Mm -hmm. that Ellen Montgomery loves. But I think that we should talk a little bit about the ending Mm -hmm. because- I mean, well, so we'll be dropping spoilers, but because the ending is really discussable, partly because it's just kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but also satisfying in some ways. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the ending of this book. So, so many things happen in the ending. We're just like, <laughs> like really quickly, really quickly, where it's just one of those and everything works out magically mm-hmm. where, um, you know, I think we do. We, you know. As readers, I think we know all along that she's not going to die in a year. (laughs) So there's some mistake with this condition or I thought maybe that the doctor had like told her she had this condition to like inspire her to like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, make the most of the time she had. That wasn't the case. But um, we also find out that Barney is a super rich and b the author of the nature books that Valency loves so much. And that's what he's doing in Bluebeard's cabin when he locks himself away. Um, I feel like I saw that coming too with all of his like snide remarks about the books that she was reading. Um, I didn't mind those twists. I think I, the, the part I got a little annoyed with the trope was just like the, the wealth and then people commenting on Valency's beauty all of a sudden. And mm-hmm. like the the painter who sees her and is so struck by her 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 unusual beauty that he wants to paint her. And just that like and and she was beautiful and he was rich all along kind of ending is a little eye rolly to me. Like I'd rather them keep having this great marriage where she's plain and he's successful enough to make it work. Um, I didn't need them to like go gallivanting through Europe at the end and her to be an admired beauty. And all of those felt like excesses to me in a very sweet story. But I mean, I I know that it's the fairy tale, right? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so reading it like that, I think helped me be like, okay, it's it's fine. I'm not mad about it. It's eye to me, but it's fine. It reads like one of Anne Shirley's stories that she wrote with her little story (laughs) club. Like by the end, that's what it reads like. I remember thinking like the first reveal of like, ooh, he's a millionaire. Like 
okay, that's kind of fun. And then the next reveal that he's the author, it's like, okay, this is a little bit much. (laughs) (laughs) And I agree with you about the beauty stuff. That's what really makes me think like this, obviously, Anne Shirley wrote this. (laughs) The part of Ellen Montgomery's brain that Anne is sitting in was the one who wrote that part. Yeah. I also thought this book had some like fun Lady of Shalott connections, which (laughs) of course connects to Anne as well. But just where she thinks she has this curse and thinking that she has this curse totally impacts the way she behaves, but in a with a much more positive outcome in this book than for the Lady of Shalott. I did think it was hilarious that the second to last chapter is from a letter that Olive writes oh, yes. to Cecil, and it's like the jealous cousin who's like all disgruntled. I thought that that was fun. And then... I I don't mind the travel stuff so much. It's kind of, it's delightful to think that Valency opened her world so far and she thought that getting to the island was like the pinnacle of happiness mm-hmm. and that that was, you know, the most, the biggest thing that she could experience in her life was love and was this experience of moving on her own. And then at the end of the book, you get to see that her life is going to open up even further and that she gets to have new dreams. And that sort of the story doesn't just end there with the happily ever after of like, well, she found love and happiness. Yay. It's like, oh, she gets to go have more adventures. Yeah, that's that's true. And I like that that's the direction it expands. It's not like oh, great. So we're going to move into, although they, they do buy a bigger house, whatever, but it's not like we're going to move into this mansion and start having babies immediately. It's like right. he, he wants to show her all of these wonderful places that he knows like her imagination has already been picturing and, and he just can't wait to introduce her to the wider world. And I did really like that aspect of it. I think they used their ridiculous money wisely. <laughs> yes. And I love how they're like, we'll keep the Blue Castle, which is how they refer to the um, little house on Mistwiss Island. And they're like, that'll be our vacation home. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my dream is yeah. to like have a little vacation home in a beautiful cabin somewhere. Yeah, maybe I in part I rolled at the ending because I was feeling a little bit like Olive. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> why does okay, Valency Valency. <laughs> It sounds really nice. It sure does. Well, I am so glad that you suggested this book for a spring read. It really was delightful. And yeah, one of those books where you can have some some qualms or some gripes, but overall the experience is just a a fun one, which is so rare with classics that are this this old and this classic. And I think this would be a fun book to hand to a young reader, whether it's from a teacher or a parent, to just show that like not all classics are dreary and sad. All right. Well, Sarah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I was fully prepared to be okay with it if you really didn't like it. (laughs) I wasn't going to defend it, but I was fully prepared to be okay with it. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I, I was ready for a fun fun read. It's, I, I will admit I had a hard time coming up with pairings because something so sweet is not my typical cup of tea. 
And so, yeah, but I did it. I came up with three. (laughs) Well, in that case, I'm really excited to hear what you came up with. All right. Well, my first pairing is definitely the sweetest one that I have. It is The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman. This is definitely a book that, like The Blue Castle, I think straddles that women's fiction and romance genre. And I read it a few years ago and I thought it was really fun. So this book follows Nina Hill, as you can imagine from the title. She works in a bookstore. She loves to play trivia. She's pretty type A. Um, the book is filled with like her her lists of things and her schedules and, and all of that. And she's perfectly content with her life. So in that sense, she's, she's very different from Valency. She's not downtrodden. She's not sad in the way Valency is, but she is just, she's accepted her life as it is, and she doesn't foresee any major changes coming. Until she gets a letter, much like Valency, where it is revealed that um, the father, she, she never knew she was raised by her single mom. He's passed away and he wants her to know his side of the family. And it's a big, boisterous family who happened to live quite close to her. And so that one letter just shakes her out of her life as she knew it, her very ordered very cloistered life. And so that's, that's the main connection to the blue castle here is we have a, um, introverted, pretty sheltered female protagonist who with one bit of news has to decide if she's going to broaden her world or kind of keep her head down and stay the course. And in both cases, they're worlds are are broadened much much for the better of our characters and so it too is a coming of age story it does have a very nice romance in it i'm sorry cannot remember at all the level of closed or open <laughs> doors in this one but i'm sure a little bit of googling will give the answer to that but it's also the bookish life of nina hill is great for readers who like to read about other readers because Nina, like Valency, really does escape into her imagination. So I thought this was a fun, sweet romance about a sheltered girl really getting to know herself and the world outside her. So that's The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman. I really liked that one. I thought it was a fun read. Yeah, really fun. Another good one to add to your spring-summer stack. All right. I have some more romance to recommend here. This was one of my favorite books of 2020 and is the first one that came to mind when I was thinking about pairings for The Blue Castle. The explanation will touch on spoilers for The Blue Castle. So if you skipped spoilers up until a certain point, skip ahead a little bit further. And this setup is a little bit complicated. This romance novel, the structure is so smart and it's operating on a couple of different levels. So on one level, we have a hero and a heroine who meet and go on a date 
they sort of don't know what to think of each other, but he convinces her to go on another date. And they just have like usual relationship progression, almost live together, like meet the families, all of that. On the other level, they are best friends in fan fiction forums for a show called Gods of the Gates, which is very much like you can tell throughout the book that it's hinting that it's very Game of Thrones-ish. It's a TV series that was based on books. And so they know each other in the fan fiction forums. So it's operating on a couple of different levels here. April, she is a plus-size cosplayer. And so most of the people in her life don't know that she does cosplay or that she's such a big fan of the show. And so when she gets a new job and moves to a new town, she decides, you know what, I'm going to like put it all out there and this is me. So there's very much that sort of journey of Valancey where she sort of decides she's going to step into herself. So April posts a picture of herself on Twitter as Lavinia, one of the characters from the show. And it absolutely blows up and goes viral, mostly because people are commenting on her body and the way she looks. Well, Marcus Castor Rupp, who I think that does not very much sound like Nikolai Castor (laughs) from Game of Thrones. (laughs) I just love that like the name very much sounds like it. Marcus Castor Rupp, the main actor on the show, sees this tweet and asks her out on a date. Genuinely because he finds her super attractive, but also to shut the bullies up. So they go out on this date. She is so nervous because she's going out on a date with a Hollywood star. And the date isn't going quite as expected. He really puts on this persona of being like the dumb, pretty guy. She's not into that on the date. So she doesn't really think it's going very well. Well, she drops that she writes in the fan fiction forums because she just really wants to put it out there and explain like, hey, this is what I do. So he recognizes, oh my goodness, you're my best friend from the forums. He knows who she is. She doesn't know who he is, that he is on their writing too. So they have this relationship, but he keeps his identity a secret because he's just like nervous to ruin their friendship and ruin the relationship. So there's that element of the secret author that I think really connects to the Blue Castle. But I will say above all, it is April's journey to really owning her confidence, her confidence in her body her confidence in who she is and what she loves to do. And also there is sort of this side plot where she sets some really tough, difficult boundaries with her parents and has to explain, like, if you can't treat me this way, then I'm not going to come and see you. And he has some drama with his family as well. And so they navigate their family relationships apart and together in a way that I think really modernizes the conflict of the Blue Castle. So there is a lot going on in spoiler alert. Olivia Dade, I think, is just such an incredible romance author and manages to do so much in this novel. And I think if you like the Blue Castle, you would like it. But also, I think it's a really good comp for Beach Read, for people who are like, yes, 
romance does indeed have a lot of depth and romance has really complicated themes and tackles some tough things. So spoiler alert by Olivia Dade is my first pairing. That sounds so fun. I've seen that cover and I knew you loved it, but I had no idea what it was about. That sounds really fun. My next one is The Bird King by G. Willow Wilson. And this is fantasy. So it is quite different than The Blue Castle. But as I mentioned, one of the things I loved about The Blue Castle was Valency's imagination and how she knew that there was a place she belonged. And maybe it was only in her imagination, but she she could live there and and be happy. And she was a dreamer. And the Bird King has a, a similar conceit. So this book is set in the Iberian Pen- Peninsula in the 15th century. So during the Spanish Inquisition. And it centers around the last sultanate there. So the Spanish Inquisition shows up at this sultanate demanding that the sultan convert to Catholicism and assimilate into, you know, the Spanish culture. And our main character is Fatima, and she is one of the sultan's concubines. And she was kind of, she was adopted into this family as a young girl. She's a favorite concubine, so her In some senses, her life is lavish and luxurious, but in others, I mean, she is only allowed to be one thing, and that is the sultan's property, and and she wants more. And so she dreams often about this bird king and his kingdom where she feels she belongs, and that's where she escapes in her imagination when when she has time alone or when she's just feeling kind of flights of fancy. And the book really begins when she and her friend Hassan decide to escape from these inquisitors and find this kingdom of Fatima's that she really believes exists and is there. And like I said, there this is fantasy, so there are um lots of kind of fantastical creatures and magicians along the way. Hassan is a map maker, but he's a magic map maker. So if he draws something on a map, it exists, it it manifests. And so um, the descriptions there are really, really lovely. And Hassan and Fatima's relationship is surprising and i'm not going to spoil anything there but the way that he helps her see herself as more than the concubine of a sultan and as somebody whose desires and ambitions are deserving really kind of reminded me of barney and valency so this one i mean like i said it is wildly different from the Blue Castle in so many ways. But a character who is sheltered 
cloistered, but really has big dreams is something I loved in in both books. So that is The Bird King by G. Willow Wilson. All right. I have another romance and then I will shift gears afterward. (laughs) But this is a sapphic romance novella. It's called Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure. It is by Courtney Milan, who I think you've read a little bit of Courtney Milan before. Yeah, I like her. And... So we have Miss Bertrice Martin, and she's a widow. She's 73 years old. And I love the idea of an older heroine, like truly older, like her back hurts and her knees give out on her. And she's just really well written. And she has this terrible, like truly, truly awful nephew. And so then we get Miss Violetta Beecham. She comes in and she is 69. And so we have these two older women who are not exactly in the prime of their lives anymore, but still like want to have full lives and still want some romance who end up falling for each other and also fighting the patriarchy by getting back at this terrible nephew together. So they sort of engage in these hijinks to like get back at him and push him down a few pegs because he is, he is seriously awful. (laughs) (laughs) So you just, you can't feel bad for all the stuff that they do to him. It's well-deserved. And so, yeah, they just start to like fall in love and, Miss Violetta starts to smile and they start to have an adventure together. And it's just a sweet book. Courtney Milan has a really great sense of humor. It's funny and cute. It's a quick read. I just think there's a lot here that's really frothy, like L.M. Montgomery. And then you've just got that sort of like older, not exactly spinster because Mrs. Martin is a widow, but you've got these older heroines who find love a little bit later in life and defy society's expectations. And then there's just that fun element of them crashing the patriarchy down, which is just delightful. So, and of course, like terrible family members is the theme here. Mm -hmm. So we've got that too. So that is Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure. It is a novella by Courtney Milan. I have another coming of age story for my final pairing. This one I feel like is a very much a cult classic. Like I don't see it all over the place, but every person I know who's read it loves it. And it really has its like ardent, um, ardent fans who tell everyone they know to read it. So it is Tell the Wolves I'm Home by Carol Rifka Brunt. Have you read this one? No, and don't tell Katie because she, this is like her mission to get, if anyone, if anyone follows at Katie Biblio, this is like (laughs) her favorite book of all time. Mm -hmm. And her mission is to get everybody to read it. And seeing your pairing with Ellen Montgomery, who's one of her favorite authors, it totally makes sense. Oh, that's, I'm going to have to talk to her about that. But I do think that that level of like evangelism for this book (laughs) is pretty common. People love this book and it is very much under the radar um so it is about it's set in the 1980s 
It's about 14-year-old June. She's very much a misfit. She's painfully shy. She has, much like Valency has Olive, she has an older sister who she just can't be herself around. She's very distant from her sister is much more acceptable to the family and and friends at school, et cetera, than, than June is. But June does have one friend and confidant. His name is Finn, and he is her godfather. So he's much older than, than her, but he really is the person she can be her true self with. Early in the book, her godfather dies, and June doesn't know what he dies of. Her mother won't talk about it, but this is the 1980s, and I think readers, given context clues, can know pretty early on that that it's likely that her godfather died of AIDS. And at his funeral, there is a strange man who's, who's there that the family won't talk to, June's really curious about, and he starts, his name is Toby, and he starts writing letters to June and sending her some kind of trinkets and special things from from Finn's house that he knows are meaningful to June. And so June starts spending time with Toby and they just have this beautiful friendship blossom where June learns all of these things about Finn that she never knew and was never allowed to know that help her really come into her own and figure out more about herself and who she wants to be. And it really is a very similar blossoming as we see in the Blue Castle, even though there's not a romantic element here. Um, it's a, you know, there's a generational gap. It's um, it's a real friendship and an unlikely friendship at that. But yeah, that figuring out, June figuring out herself and how she really feels about her family and what they accept and what they don't is, is heartbreaking but beautiful. And her closeness with Toby and Finn both are um, just really, really reminiscent too of Valency's relationship with um, not just Barney, but the friends she meets in in the Blue Castle. So, I I think this book is really beautiful, and and yeah, I I will be very curious to talk to Katie about it and see if she sees any connection between this and Montgomery. Um, yeah, even just Valency's like care for outcasts and how she sees outcasts for who they really are and not what other people say about them is very much a theme of this book as well. So that is Tell the Wolves I'm Home by Carol Rifka Brunt. So I love when this works out, doesn't always, but I love being (laughs) able to recommend a pairing that the character from our book would enjoy. And I really really wanted to find a wilderness memoir that Valency would get into. So I have a couple on my shelves. This one is Rough Beauty, 40 Seasons of Mountain Living by Karen Ovenin. And it is described as a story of a woman who 
eschews the prescribed role outlined for her by her family and discovers her own path. And that sounds like valency. So in the first chapter, first of all, it's called Good Girl. And at the end of the first chapter, um, Karen says, The decision was like a bomb detonating in my head. After too many years of acquiescence of yes, I would begin deliberately, defiantly to say no. And so just the setup sounds like Valency's story. But after the experiences with her family, the author, who is also an award-winning poet, which I think is important because that means the descriptions are lovely in here, goes ahead and spends 40 seasons living wild in the Rockies. And so we get some seasonal descriptions. She's living alone, which is maybe a little bit more Barney-like. And so she lives in this little cabin and tries to embrace all of the nature around her and wants to be a writer. But, um, This is also, this is jacket copy, so this isn't spoiling anything. There's a fire, and she has to start her life all over again. So this is a wilderness memoir, very much like Valency would have loved to read, but it is also very much a story that Valency is living in, of having to start again, and then having to start again, these new beginnings cropping up in her life. But mostly... I just, I really enjoy wilderness memoir for the descriptions. And I feel like that's one of my go-to escape genres. I don't want to live alone in a cabin for more than one or two weeks, but it is a lot of fun to read about someone else doing so. So that is Rough Beauty, 40 Seasons of Mountain Living by Karen Ovenen. That does sound like something Valency would really love. Great pick. All right. So at the end of our discussion episodes, every now and then we have a pick of the week that goes with the novel. So Sarah, do you have a pick to recommend? I do. Although it's hardly a recommendation because I've only listened to like 10 minutes of it, (laughs) but I really want to learn more about Lucy Maud Montgomery. I'm so curious about her life. You mentioned, and I this kind of popped up in some of my research as well, that she had some real hardships and that her imagination and writing was perhaps very much an escape for her. So there is an episode of the History Chicks podcast, which is is a fun podcast where um, historians dive into the lives of sometimes prominent, sometimes lesser known women in history and they have an Ellen Montgomery episode. It's like two hours long, which I think if it were just an hour, I probably would have listened to the whole thing before we recorded, but I was like, I'm not going to be able to finish it. So I'm just going to listen to a tiny bit. Um, And I think it's going to be great. So I will report back, but I am really excited to listen to the History Chicks L.M. Montgomery episode. Oh, that sounds fun. Now I want to listen to that. What is your pick of the week? As I was scrolling the little Facebook discussion from a few years ago when my friends were talking about the Blue Castle, I noticed that one of them posted a link to a private islands website where you can purchase a Canadian island. I'm scrolling it literally right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it's just beautiful. I think if you couldn't picture what Mr. Wiss looked like, this is just a nice way to sort of look at those Canadian islands and marvel at the beauty and to dream a little bit. Maybe find your own blue castle among these islands. I don't know if that website is necessarily up to date. Like, I don't know if those are all for sale currently, but the pictures are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, just looking and imagining is very much fun. Yeah, so I will include that in the show notes and you can go ahead and dream of having a house on one of these islands. I mean, the pictures are just beautiful. Did you Mm -hmm. see the Emerald Lake Lodge that's like covered in snow and it's all lit up? Yes, I did. And now I'm looking at just this adorable little blue house on like the tiniest rock island I've ever seen. It's adorable. Yeah, they're really pretty and just incredibly diverse. Like islands for rent too. (laughs) If you're not ready to buy. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not ready to buy an island, just rent one. (laughs) They're just really fun to scroll. So yeah. I'll include that in the show notes and everyone just have fun dreaming about your islands. I love it. Well, this was delightful. And while this month in our Patreon community, we are discussing In the Time of the Butterflies as our official book club Zoom pick, we are chatting about the Blue Castle on our Discord channel. So if you're a patron and haven't yet joined our Discord channel, make sure you do that. And if you are not yet a patron and you want to talk about this book, becoming a patron is a great way to find a community of readers to talk with. So that to join our Patreon community, you can visit patreon.com slash novel pairings, where you'll find all of those community benefits plus weekly bonus episodes. We have some really fun bonus episodes planned for the entire month, so definitely go and check those out. And if you want to stay up to date with Novel Pairings, a really great way to do that is our weekly newsletter. That's at novelpairings.substack.com. We tend to share extra links associated with our episodes. We Also, give our newsletter subscribers the first heads up about new Patreon stuff going on. And we just can't wait to hear all about your experiences reading The Blue Castle by L.M. Montgomery. So if you're listening to this episode, be sure to let us know. Tag us on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod. We love to see those Instagram stories of when and where you're listening and what you think of the book. And we are running a little bit low on Apple Podcast reviews. So if you really want to do something simple, quick, and free to support the show, go ahead and write a review on Apple Podcasts for us and tell one of your friends to listen and do it too. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with our seasonal wrap-up episode sharing the best books we read this spring. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything.